second uh, reading is in the New Testament, it's in Matthew's Gospel. And it comes after Jesus answers a few questions from uh, the Pharisees. It's Matthew 22, starting at verse 23. And it's on page 699. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and a third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is the word of the Lord. Let me welcome you this day. If we've not had a chance to meet before, my name's Mark. If uh, you're a father or for your fathers, I hope they're having great days also. Uh, it'll be challenging. According to the socks one of my daughters gave me, I am the most loved dad on the planet, so it will be challenging for them to keep up with me. Uh, we are looking again... If I do that, Russ. Excellent. Uh, we are... We're not just looking at technical difficulties, we're looking at relationships. Uh, we've been looking at them for the past few weeks, relationships in the way God intended. Uh, we're looking at it in part uh, because this is our year of reaching those we know, trying to reach three people that we know with the great news of Jesus. And if we're going to do that, we need to relate well. So we've looked at marriage, we've looked at what marriage is for. Today we look at singleness, not fatherhood, singleness. Uh, next week we'll be looking at friendship. We look at it all in let me say again, it's my kind of weekly disclaimer in this series, uh, it's a big topic, so it will take a little while. It's a hard topic uh, because it raises painful issues, and so we need to have conversations that are encased in grace. That's the way I want to talk about this series, uh, conversations encased in grace. And so uh, I do hope that you hear this and listen to what God has to say graciously, uh, and as well as we speak with one another, that we would speak graciously about it. Uh, but let me pray. Uh, and we'll look at this topic of singleness. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. We thank you for the gift of relationships. And even better, Father, we thank you that you tell us how to relate well. We thank you for your great example of the perfect relationship as Father, Son and Spirit. And thank you for inviting us into that relationship through Jesus. And we pray now that you would give us humble hearts and minds to think about how we might relate well and honour you in all our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, would it be good if I just turned everything off for us? That's a great idea. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul makes this statement, 7 verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. You get that? Paul says clearly, it is good to stay single. Uh, and whether you're here today, married, divorced, widowed, never married, 
I think we hear that and it grates. In context, Paul is not just advocating you should be single, but he's advocating chaste singleness, celibate singleness if you, if you prefer. Uh, it grates against, therefore, what society is consistently saying. See, outside the walls of here, outside the, the church, marriage might not be admired, but serial monogamy and, and casual sex are. Now, I, I realise Seinfeld's a little bit dated, but uh, there was one episode about a girlfriend of a key character uh, who was a virgin, uh, as if there was something wrong with her. Now, Paul's claim grates against the world's constant barrage that it is not good to be chased. But it isn't just against the world that the goodness of remaining single seems at odds. Uh, in the church, you could easily get the impression that it is not good to be single. Now, the church scene is often so pro-marriage and they run programs as though it's the only state to be. Uh, churches have family services and family picnics that single adults have to graciously endure. You know, or they run marriage courses without thinking about what should be offered to those in a different state of life. You know, if society makes Paul's claims hard to hear because they don't think chastity is any good, the church can be equally undermining in seeing that you know, it is good to remain single. I think it's especially hard to hear what Paul says because there is a grain of truth in both what society and the church are saying. You know, marriage is good. They don't for a moment think that marriage is always and only that way. And sex is also good, again, don't for a moment think that it is when it's used improperly. Now, Paul's words again, it is good to remain unmarried. They grate. And even worse, I'm conscious there will be people here today and people we know who long to be married. And so you say, oh, it's good to be single sounds like it's trite and it's patronising and it doesn't do justice to the challenges of long-term adult singleness or the reality that this might be a situation you've not chosen. You know, and again, against this tide of voices, we're constantly barraged, uh, but the Bible is clear, singleness is good. And this morning, I want for all of us to actually believe those words, believe those words to the point that we think differently, act differently, and start honouring a state that God has made for you. Uh, two big points... Why is singleness good? Two reasons. First, it's God's gift. And secondly, it's a gift given that we might meet God's goals in destiny. That one was longer. We'll get back to that. First one, it's easy and simple. It's God's good gift. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul very carefully uses the same language of gift for both marriage and chaste singleness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. I wish all men were as I am. Uh, Paul's single. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. That is, marriage is one gift of God's, singleness is another. And the fact that he speaks about both situations in the same way is important. It helps us see that Paul is not talking about your capacity for the situation as the gift. The state itself is the gift. Uh, so many people think that the gift of singleness is, is that some people find it easier and less frustrating to be single. And if you don't have that gift, you know, you should go and get married. Now, if you held that line, you'd actually have to say that those with the gift of marriage are those who find marriage a bit easier than others. And the logical next step is, oh, if you don't find marriage too easy, you don't have that gift, off you go, leave your marriage. No, no. But if you read the chapter, you'll see Paul is saying the opposite. But yes, it is true. Some people find marriage easier than others, and some people find singleness easier than others. But the gift 
is not your capacity, it's the state you're in. Marriage is a gift. Whether you do it well or not, that's the challenge. So too, singleness is God's gift. It's just a challenge to do it well. Yeah, and I think there's some uh, wonderful implications when you start seeing that singleness is a gift of God's. Uh, it actually opens up the possibility of enjoying singleness. That is, it, it frees single people from having to feel like they've got to claim the gift and then commit themselves to being single for life and pretending they don't want to marry. Uh, it, it frees you from, from worrying that God has put you in a situation that he hasn't equipped you for. It frees you to enjoy being single and, and not be concerned that if you decide to consent to marriage, uh, you know, even though you don't struggle with you know, singleness massively, that's okay. There's a real freedom in seeing it's God's gift. But there are also some challenges. Yeah, because wh- while ever you think that uh, the gift is tied to your capacity, those of you who are single and don't feel like you have the gift feel like you've got this exemption from taking advantage of the opportunities and freedom that singleness affords. You feel like you've got this, this permission to to wallow in self-pity. No, no, no. The opportunities and freedoms that singleness brings are to be taken up by, not by everyone who is single, just as the responsibilities afforded by marriage is to be taken up by everyone who's married, not just those who, who feel like they're up for the job. So in the same way that we might call those who are finding you know, marriage difficult, we might say to them, no, no, persevere in it. We might say too to those who are single, to see that this is God's good gift, take advantage and persevere in it. Now, singleness is God's good gift and it is good and it is given by him for the second reason. Singleness is a gift to help us meet God's goals in the destiny of new creation. Uh, so last week, if you are with us, what I said about marriage is that marriage was good and it was given by God to help us meet his goals, not personal ambitions, his goals. Uh, we, we turned and looked at it, we turned to the past and we looked at creation and saw how the gift of marriage was given by God to help us meet those creation purposes. I want to say singleness is equally given to meet God's goals, not personal satisfaction, but God's goals. But we look the other direction. We look to the future. We look to the new creation and we see the goodness of singleness. Now you're going to have to stick with me here a little bit. You're going to have to use your minds particularly well. It's going to kind of tie in after a while. Okay. God's great goal, you've got to get this, even in creation was a new creation, centred on the praise of himself. Uh, In Ephesians 1, write it down, read it later, Ephesians 1, uh, 3 to 14, we who are in Christ have every spiritual blessing. Okay, so those blessings get spelt out, that that we're we're chosen in Christ before even the foundations of the world were laid and and we're made holy and blameless in Christ and and in Jesus we were adopted as God's family and we were loved and, and we are redeemed in Jesus. And he gives us insight into his great plans and purposes. He reveals his purposes to it. That in Ephesians 1.10, his goal is to unite all things, all things in heaven and earth under one headship of Jesus. God's great goal is, is not merely making the most of this dysfunctional creation and having it roll on forever. But a new, united, perfected creation under the rule of Jesus. And why is that his goal? Ephesians 1.6, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1.12, it's to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1.14, it's to the praise of his glory again. Now, God's great goal is to invite all of creation to join the Father, Son and Spirit in their mutual praise and delight. 
Okay? And that, that praise, that end goal from people actually overcomes all barriers and distinctions that exist here. So in Revelation 7-9, we get this beautiful picture of that moment when people are gathered to praise God. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a, a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. You know, that, that picture is the eternal future for all who are in Christ. It's a picture where all the earthly markers of, of tribe and nation and people and language just kind of melt away in significance. Yes, they're still visible. John can still see them. He can spot the Australians from the Kiwis, which is you know, good to be able to tell apart. But they no longer matter. And that's our destiny. Uh, for this reason, th- th- there's, there's a new reason for people gathering together that transcends every other purpose. People don't gather just because they come from the same family. They gather because of Jesus. They gather to sing his praise, our maker and our saviour and our Lord. You know, that is, the markers, those old markers of this creation get trumped. Okay, trying to draw it together. God's great goal is that he will be praised above all other loyalties. And this destiny has already begun. That's what Jesus introduced in his earthly ministry. So when Jesus was asked about his uh, uh, relatives in Matthew 12, he said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. See, his kingdom is about having a higher loyalty to God than any other tie. Uh, He said it even more starkly in Luke 14. He said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple." And anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. There's a Father's Day word for us. Jesus brought in this, this new world order, new loyalties, new priorities, new realities, because that's the future. And in this new world, the intimacy and fidelity of love that's available to those who are married will be trumped. It'll be superseded. It'll be available to all and, and present to us all. You know, we won't be in a position where we must limit ourselves just to knowing, you know, my wife and my children really well. We will actually know Christ and we will know all who belong to him really well. And, and we won't any longer need those sexual or blood ties. Now, which is why we had that strange reading from Matthew chapter 22. Jesus talking to the Sadducees, the way he did. Uh, so the Sadducees were told in that the start of that reading, they don't even believe in the resurrection, but they've come to try and cheekily trap Jesus in a hard question Um, and they have their expectations overturned so they're trying to trap Jesus by creating an abominable situation that there'll be polygamy in heaven because you know repeated marriages on earth aha Jesus answers them verse 29 you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God at the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage they'll be like the angels in heaven see the problem that they believed in marriage, not the resurrection. And Jesus says, no, no, there's resurrection, but marriage doesn't last like that. Or to put it another way, and we're finally getting back to why we're doing this long detour to get God's great goals, the future is singleness. Get that? The future is singleness. Singleness is God's good gift because it serves that greater goal of what we in Christ are destined for. You know, it helps us put the praise of Christ above every other loyalty. 
You know, single people offer us a glimpse of what the future heavenly society is like. They are, in, in the words of a, a lecturer of mine, harbingers of heaven. How cool is that word? Don't get enough. As in, they give a foretaste, a foreshadow. They, they announce in advance. They're harbingers of heaven. Uh, they point now to what we will all fully experience at the resurrection, but only now experience in part. Now, the church is not just a, a collection of families. We, our congregation here, is not just a collection of families. We are a family itself. Now, it is the place where we should be able to find deeply satisfying human relationships that aren't sexual. Now, it is precisely why the Bible writers use family language to describe our relationships with each other because they're drawing a, a picture of the quality of relationships that, that church life should make possible because that's the future we're all going to. Now, and if you are single here today, you get to testify to that. You get to be a signpost to the future reality for others. That is, you get to live more as you will in the future than those of us who are married do. You are harbingers of heaven. You know, the future will be a place where we relate deeply and meaningfully, but not sexually, as part of this great multitude where, where kinship ties don't matter. Only Christ prays matter. And chaste singleness both bears witness to that future and actually starts living out that future. You know, at their best, uh, the single person is actually free to relate widely, more widely, across the boundaries of family. Uh, and again, to pick up 1 Corinthians 7, that's why Paul says that it's so good to remain unmarried. 7 verse 32. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Again, 7.34. An unmarried man, or virgin, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Single people remind families that this world is passing away and we're all going to become part of a great multitude. And although we must be more worldly than the single, we, we must still remember if we're married where our destiny is. We still need to express that in our lives. Single people thankfully remind marriage to stop being so consumed with their family that they're unable to serve beyond their family. Singleness is good. It is good because it's given by God. It is good because it helps us meet his goals. To praise Christ above every other Lord. I want to say, if you've grasped that today, just over the you know, past few weeks as I've been asking us to honour marriage, I want to ask you today, no matter your state, start honouring singleness. Five ways I think we can do that. First, esteem it. Now, Paul is actually telling the truth when he says it is good to stay unmarried. Now, marriage is still the preferred option for us in meeting God's goals in creation. But singleness is the preferred option in these last days to meet God's goals for the new creation, for the future. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 12, some have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. He's not banning marriage. He's not saying that you've got to take a monastic vow. He's just pointing to the importance of his coming kingdom, even over marriage. Jesus esteemed singleness. He lived a chaste single life. Uh, again, the reason Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 can encourage others to, to remain unmarried like him is because singleness is not a lesser state. Yeah, and that might be a mental shift. You know, for those who are married, let me say, 
your friend's singleness is not a disease to be cured. Okay? Uh, it's not a situation to be pitied. And we've got to stop giving poor advice about hurrying up and getting married. And if you can't resist that, um, we must be willing to challenge some of the single people we know to lifelong singleness for the sake of the Lord's work. Otherwise, we're suggesting in some way it's an inferior state to marriage. And either way, if you're married, we must humbly learn from those who are single in our community, in our church, how to put Christ first. And for those who are single, let me encourage you to esteem singleness by your purity and for your intentions. Flee any hint of sexual relationship. Uh, Sex is a gift just for marriage. Uh, If you aren't sure what that might look like, my suggestion is um, have a look around and watch how married couples relate in public and how they relate in public is your standard for every situation. So I think married couples intuitively know what's appropriate physical level of relationship in public in front of other people. They just intuitively do it. Uh, And if you think that doesn't allow much space for you, uh, you're right. Esteem singleness by purity, fleeing sexual immorality, but also by being clear on your intentions. If you've got an exclusive relationship that's, that's looking to marriage, don't be vague, don't be stretching out this courtship unnecessarily. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7.36, uh, it warns us uh, against acting improperly toward your betrothed. Now, the underlying principle there is, is that devotion to Christ doesn't allow you to get selfish in the way you relate to other people. Uh, classically, I think men are guilty of stringing out the courtship period. You know, uh, there's too many men who have no intent of marrying, but it's easier to be in a relationship to break up, and so it just drags on, and they stay in this holding pattern year after year after year. Uh, that is selfish, and it doesn't esteem singleness. Okay. That's one, one way, esteem it. Second way of honouring it, acknowledge the challenges. Singleness has great challenges. And that's not surprising because we actually live in the overlap of the ages. Singleness is our destiny. Uh, That future began in Christ's resurrection, but the creation hasn't been transformed. And and because marriage, not singleness, is the preferred way of of meeting our goals in design, there are going to be challenges in being single. Now, there is certain pain involved in not living in accord with our design. Now, those who are single wrestle with friendship and loneliness in ways that married people too quickly take for granted. Yeah, married people, when I, you know, when they move city, uh, sorry, single people, when they move cities, know no one. Uh, for me, if I move, I'm already connected to six other people before I step outside my house. You know, th- there's less clarity for single people in their relationship to their parents. They, they've had no publicly recognised leaving, and so there can be expectations on them in some cultures more than others to be the, the carers forever of their parents into old age. You know, there are financial insecurities. If they lose their job, where does their money come from while they wait? You know, it's difficult for them to plan for the future. What kind of house do they buy? Should they anticipate marriage in buying one like that? If they don't marry, if they don't have children, if they don't have grandchildren, who's going to care for them when they get old? And this is not a problem, don't get this wrong, this is not a problem just for single people. We live in a society with increasingly uh, a large number of single households. Uh, Divorce rates increase. God calls us in the church to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6. And he calls us outside the church to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. You can do the hand actions now so you can remember. And I raise all these issues because if we're going to honour singleness, we need to recognise the challenges so that we can love more insightfully. 
we actually need to have open conversations about the challenges uh, that don't give permission to single people to wallow in self-pity or, or allow marriage to love inconsiderately. You know, we honour singleness by acknowledging the challenges and responding godliness to make that, that state of destiny more livable in the present. Third way of honouring singleness is make the most of it. Make the most of it. Uh, singleness is good because it's got a certain simplicity. Uh, there's a freedom to not be engrossed in the world. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, that unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. A married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. That is, marriage might be less painful, a good one, but it'll be more complicated. You know, marriage have compulsory generosity thrust upon them. You know, they, they just have hours involved in the affairs of the world. You know, I have people being married that I'm just obliged to care for. When I get up in the morning, I don't just shower and head to work. I make breakfast for seven and morning tea for four. You know, like, I can't refuse to change a nappy because, hey, it's my day off. Nappies aren't being done today. You know, like, marriage just means compulsory generosity and therefore a more complicated life with divided interests. Singleness has simplicity. And that brings freedom. Free to live like they will in heaven, serving and relating wherever there's an opportunity. Uh, you know, if you see an opportunity and you're single, you can just take it and you don't have to think about how it might affect some others in the same way. I know a single man who intentionally chooses the long business trips at his work so his colleagues with young families don't have to. Uh, I know a single woman who, who kind of tithes, if I can use that expression, her annual leave to do mission work because she doesn't need that holiday time to reconnect with her children. But she uses it to teach other people's children about Jesus. You know, like the Apostle Paul, what they've done is they've intuitively grasped the simplicity of singleness and the advantages in pursuing the Lord's affairs. You know, the Apostle's missionary journeys would have been sinful if he was a married man because he would have been abandoning his family. But he understood the freedom he had in growing the kingdom by encouraging loving fellow Christians, making the name of Jesus known and attractive to those who won't wherever they were. Of course, the great danger with optional generosity is you might opt out. You know, use the, sim the, the, the simplicity of singleness and the freedom there to be selfish and, and have a permanent adolescence. I want to say to single people in that situation, that fails to see that the, the life of a disciple of Jesus is actually lived for the sake of others. That's true, not just to single people, marriage as well. The difference is, perhaps, uh, whether, not just whether we live for other people's sake, but the degree with which we're able to. I want to say in all this, though, there's a particular situation of those who are single parents that we need to acknowledge. Uh, last week I suggested those who are married but not blessed with children had a unique situation. Not discounting their grief, they had, they had some of the blessings of marriage and some of the blessings of singleness. I think it's the same for those who are single parents. Uh, you have the blessing of children, a joy that other singles often long for. And without a marriage partner, you more readily act as, as harbingers of heaven, breaking that, that barriers of insular family life, and you end up inviting more people in. That said, there are greater challenges for single parents, challenges the rest of us can't grasp. I want to ask those who are single parents, uh, invite others in to understand it and to assist you. Uh, 
earlier this week, a friend of ours who's a single mum asked us to look after her daughter before school. Um, I'm glad she asked because the challenges she faces just don't occur to me. They need to be asked. Singleness is good. Make the most of it. And the final two are much shorter. The fourth way of honouring it is grieve the costs. Even good things in an imperfect world come at a cost. It is right to grieve them. Marriage is what our bodies are geared for. It fits with our design. And so to not marry is costly. And to not bear children is a hope lost. I read a powerful blog recently of a godly Christian woman. She's now past her childbearing years. And she wrote of this moment she had where the grief just crept up on her and hit her unexpectedly. In her words, what I can probably only best describe as an acute sense of missing. And she goes on to talk about her her disenfranchised grief, a grief that gets no social sympathy or, or time off in acknowledgement. And she finds comfort and validation in being known and loved by the one who is never surprised by our grief, whatever it is, and he never fails to bring us great joy, even amidst great sadness. Now, we honour singleness by communally acknowledging the costs. Finally, we honour singleness by welcoming the cross barriers. I hope over the past few weeks as you've been with us, you've heard clearly that the solution to loneliness is not marriage, but Christian community. You know, the problem for single people is not singleness, it's poor fellowship. You know, the picture of the heavenly gathering in Revelation 7 is one where human barriers get, get broken down and people just meet around Jesus. And we should be doing the same in church life now. And again, marriage, I think we're particularly poor at this. And again, marriage, we are in the stronger, less, you know, stronger position to actually invite people in and create that kind of fellowship. We're not as vulnerable as those who are single. And so if you're married, take the initiative to welcome singles into your life and your homes. Don't be a ghetto where all your other friends are other married couples. And at the same time, can I encourage those who are single, use your lives of simplicity to fit in with the complicated lives of families. So the reason Christian fellowship often fails uh, and, and often gets divided across different congregations being different ages and stages of life uh, is that often we fail the gospel imperative to be selfless and we're guilty of selfishness. You know, marrieds are too concerned about having even numbers at dinner parties uh, and singles are too unwilling to spend Saturday morning down at the park where the children need to be. We need to be selfless. Singleness may not be easy, but I hope you've heard this morning loud and clear, singleness is good. Deeply and profoundly good. It is a good gift of God's and a wonderful, great reminder of our common destiny. God's great goal of gathering us around Christ for eternal pleasure. Why don't we thank him and pray to him now. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your goodness in giving gifts that are surprisingly good. Father, we thank you for the gift of singleness and we pray that we as a community would honour it whether we are married ourselves or single that we would be people who honour what you give to us and we thank you for the great future that you have prepared for us where one day we will uh, gather around without any other barriers between us gather around the throne of Christ and give him praise and enjoy the new creation for eternity Father we ask that you would help us not be distracted but to live for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.